Hello listeners and welcome to the show. This is Sam Abrika, the CEO of Nova Money, an AI financial planner designed to help you build financial freedom. Everybody wants to be rich, but few adopt the necessary behaviors that will lead them to where they want to be. Our guest today is Sid, a certified financial planner, helping people to avoid mistakes and adopt the right mentality for managing their finances. Sid is with us to share his experience of how people successfully build wealth. Hello, Sid, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Today, we're going to talk about the financial planning, the financial system, and what the what is it that the wealthy people understand about finance that most people don't. And that's great because today, Sid, you are a financial planner, and I guess the number one question that most people will wonder is, what the heck is a financial planner? That's a great question. So what a financial planner does is they sit down with someone and they figure out what they want to accomplish, right? We all have different goals depending on where we are in life, but a lot of the time it comes down to being able to take care of ourselves after we stop working, right? We think about retirement, but there are other goals that we can plan for. And so a financial planner sits down with a client, a prospective client, talks to them about what they want to accomplish, and then we also discuss where they are currently in their financial standing, right? What do you own? What do you owe? Where you are, right? Because if we have to figure out where we're going, we have to also know where we are, and then how do we bridge the gap in between, right? What are the things that we need to do to get from where we are to where we want to go? Uh, and that's where a planner comes in. And It's an ongoing process, right? Life changes, things happen. Um, and so it's an ongoing process to monitor that plan, to execute that plan, to make sure that we're taking into account the things that are going on in the world and things that are going on in your world, right? Marriages, deaths, births, things like that, that you have to account for. It sounds like a financial planner is kind of helping people to know themselves from a financial perspective, who they are, what's their situation, what do they want to achieve, and what's the best way to get there? That's absolutely correct. You know, we want to go into that stuff because it's important. I think, and this is one of the things that I think is a big criticism of the industry, is there's a lot of people out there calling themselves financial advisors who, if you sit down with them, they're just, whatever you say, they'll say, you know, buy this product or use this service, right? They're not uh, approaching it from a point of view of, You know, what does this person actually need? What do they want to accomplish and why? You know, why are they doing this? And then where do we go from where they are to where they want to be? One of the best analogies that I've ever heard was imagine going to a doctor's office and before you could even tell them, you know, what, what's wrong with you, what ails you, they say, here, take this pill or take this procedure, right? One of my friends who's a, a financial advisor has said, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. It right. Is. And we, I believe the same thing about your finances. If you sit down with someone and before you even tell them anything, or even if you do tell them and they're not taking that into account and they just come back to you with a product or a recommendation, you know, be wary of that. They may not have your best interests at heart. A real planner, and the word is fiduciary, someone who's putting your best interests first, is going to want to know those things because it's going to help them better uh, help you. Are you an independent financial planner or are you working for a global bank or institution? So I am an independent financial advisor. I work with what's called a broker dealer and my broker dealer is LPL Financial. Now they happen to be the largest in the country, 
but they do all of our compliance stuff. They do all of the systems and things like that. They have a, a client CRM type thing, right? Um, we are a small group in New Jersey. It's about 10 advisors, seven to 10 advisors. And so they give us the resources to do that, but we are independent. You know, They don't tell us to use a certain product or investment. They don't tell us that we need to be doing X amount of business. It's on us to go out and find clients. It's on us to go out and follow the process to make sure that we're putting our clients first and putting their best interests ahead of everyone else's. I think some people have the wrong image of the financial advisors because they would think about their bankers. And obviously their bankers, they are paid to sell products and make money. That's the whole point, which is very different from a financial advisor like you because you're not paid by the commission of the product. For example, when you go and see your banker for advice, you never pay him because the way they make money is by selling product, be it, be it like life insurance, bonds, anything. What's your business model? Sure, that's a great question. So full disclosure, we are what's called fee-based financial advisors. So we can charge a fee for assets under management, right? If you have you know, $100,000 to invest, we can put that into an account, we can charge a fee and all of our services are provided because we're charging you a fee on that. If, let's say, you are a specific client, your situation entails it or needs it, we can put you into a product, like a, let's say an annuity, for example, that can guarantee you income. They are for certain people, they're not for everyone. If it's in your best interest, we can put you into a product and we will get a commission off of that. So it can be commission, it can be fee-based. There are financial advisors that only charge a fee. There are financial advisors that only do, you know, kind of fee-based stuff. But at the end of the day, we've opened that up for our practice because we think that we don't want to limit ourselves. If there is a product out there that makes absolute sense for a client, we're going to recommend that if it's in their best interest. And the way the compensation would work would be a commission on that. And also the regulation is quite strict around any sale of financial product there's a conflict of interest like clause that every financial planner or anybody selling a financial product needs to comply with for example like i'm sure you're not allowed to sell a product that would be detrimental to your client just because it would give you fees and revenues that is correct there are in the industry there are what's called best interest practices or clauses kind of uh, standards where it's not that high of a level that people have to hold themselves to. What we do at our company and how we operate as advisors is we consider ourselves fiduciaries. And that word, again, is putting our client's best interest above everything else. And so that's how we approach it, right? And that's kind of how we do our business. The interesting thing is in the U.S., financial planner, financial advisors are quite common, especially when you compare that to Europe. I used to work at UBS. It's a global investment bank and it was the number one in wealth management. To be a customer of UBS, you need to be worth at least half a million dollars. Just to give you like an, an idea of the financial inclusion. But if you're such a wealthy customer, then you would have your dedicated advisor or planner. That person would look at everything, your debt, your finances, your investments, your long-term project, your short-term project, or any kind and sort of optimization. I'm sure many people have heard on the news some of the excessive optimization on, uh, on taxes. 
But for most people, especially in Europe, most of them probably never heard of the concept to have a financial advisor or, or planner. So who are your customers and why do you think it's so much more common in America than in the rest of the world? That's a good question. I mean, uh, so my specific clients that I'd like to work with and the way I want to structure my business is I'm looking for clients that are 50 plus, maybe 10 to 15 years away from retirement that really can benefit from having a financial plan in place. Most people get to age 50. Um, and I don't know about Europe, but I think just in the US and, and, th and this may be across the world, they kind of get to age 50 and they go, oh man, like I got to really start figuring this out because I may have another 10 to 15 years of work, right? And so I have to kind of solidify what I'm going to do, my plan, because the time is going to pass. And so I have to have a plan there. And so those are the people that I try to work with. Uh, to your second question, you know, why do I think there are more advisors in, in America? I don't know what the regulatory environment is in Europe, but what I think it is in the United States is people call themselves advisors when they're really not. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of product salespeople out there that work for insurance companies, that work for, you know, big banks that are trying to sell proprietary products under the guise of calling themselves financial advisors. And this is a conversation I have with other actual financial advisors. It brings the whole industry down. You know, we are, it's not a trusted industry because of that. And so you have people that are trying to do it the right way, but you have people that are calling themselves advisors only trying to make a sale. And they give a bad image to the, all the good and honest financial advisors. <laughs> exactly. There's a joke that my dad, I work with my father, he's been an, an advisor for 25 years. And there's a joke that he says, you know, if you go to a party, and you tell people you're a doctor, everyone wants to come up to you and, oh, I got this ailment and I, can you take a look at this, right? But you tell people at a party that I'm a financial advisor, everyone wants to run away from you because they all think that, <laughs> oh, what is this guy trying to sell me? The, the interesting thing is you said that most of your customers are 50 plus. Why do you think people in their 40s, 30s, 20s are not coming to you? So the way I want to structure my business, again, I'm a financial advisor, but I'm also running a business as well, right? And so there are costs to doing that. I try to target the 50 plus age range because one, I think they're more motivated to do things. When people have time, they kind of put things off. I'm sure I'm the same way <laughs> with a lot of things, but I think they're more motivated at age 50. Also, just from a business standpoint, you know, I have to bring in revenue to, to sustain a business. And so those are the people, right? I've, I am working and trying to target as well the younger people. And I've come out with, let's say, a subscription-based service. So it's not the traditional, you know, give X amount of money and I charge a fee on it because most people that are young have their money tied up in, let's say, a company retirement plan. But offering a subscription service allows me to feel like I'm fairly compensated for the work that I'm doing. And I'm also able to provide that for these younger clients. And that is also, you know, kind of an industry issue. Most advisors work on the AUM, assets under management model, where they get money, then they charge a fee on it. And that automatically cuts out a lot of the younger generation. And so they're only focusing on that. I'd like to open that up. Um, as a young advisor working with my dad, I can do that as well. Yeah, I guess it, it wouldn't be profitable for you to take clients who are 21, 23, investing $30, $50 per month 
That wouldn't pay the bills. That wouldn't pay the bills, but I think opening it up to maybe a subscription service again, you know, I can help them. I can give them a level of service. It's almost like a service tier, right? And then once they've built up their assets, we can move them into the highest tier, which is charging a fee on their assets. Right. It's also an observation that I have made. There's a gap in the financial system. Either your ultra high net worth, you would go to the UBS, the Credit Suisse, the Goldman Sachs, etc. Either you're in between, so between 100k to 300k of net assets. You still have access to private banker and financial advisors. They, they're very happy to be your, your, your advisor. But if you're below, or especially if you're in the 20s, which is the time where you need to get your habits right, and in the 30s where you would really see the impact if you got your habits right in the 20s, then these people don't have much resources at their disposal. Of course, there is information on the internet. Well, but you need to know what's the right information because there's way too much of it. <laughs> and I would say the vast majority is not so good. A lot of misinformation, a lot of hype and noise. And that's partly why I started Nova Money because I saw that there's this entire generation, the Gen Z, the millennials, at the time that they need the most guidance to have their habits right, to invest in their financial education, they have so little tool and support at their disposal. So I, I don't know how the landscape would be for you in 20 years when all these people will be 20 and 50 years old. Will they all be panicked because they have nothing for their retirement? Or <laughs> would they be like, maybe completely autonomous because they had to learn finance on the, their own way? What do you think will happen? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think it's probably going to be a mixture of both, right? I think there will be people who essentially were left behind, who don't have the knowledge and, you know, then they turn their, in their 40s and 50s, they kind of panic because they now have to start figuring this out. There are definitely, you know, more people utilizing the resources online. I have a lot more conversations around that. I have clients whose kids and grandkids are, you know, utilizing trading platforms and talking about different things, Wall Street bets, for example, and all that stuff, right? So I think awareness is there, which is great. I think access to investing and people thinking about it is great. I remember growing up, no one really talked about this stuff. But with the advent of your cell phone that can is basically, you know, a computer, and then having apps like Robinhood or whatever it is, um, now more people are interested in that. And to your older, you know, previous point, I mean, there is information there for them to kind of get, but you have to wade through all the nonsense. Um, I see apps like Instagram and TikTok where people are giving advice and, you know, it's just, it's ridiculous, right? These are not people that are licensed professionals. They don't have the same standards or regulations that that financial professionals like myself are under. And so they're basically allowed to just go on and say whatever they want to. We don't know what they own. Maybe they own a specific coin or security that they're telling you to buy, and then they'll dump later. And so I think, you know, wading through all of the noise is going to be something that these young, the, the younger generation is going to have to figure out. Does that mean you go to a professional? Maybe. Does that mean you kind of figure it out on your own? Maybe. I see that now there's a trend because there were a lot of people, they invested in GME, in Bitcoin, in any 
alternative cryptocurrency at the right time. They were there at the right moment, at the right time, and they got lucky. Now they think that they are the king of the world. And there is one there is one thing that everybody in the industry knows who has stayed long enough. The only time that you know if you're good is when you go through a crisis. Because the crisis can wipe out your entire profit, your entire assets, your entire career as a trader. And now we have this new wave of people who, um, good for them, have been very lucky. And the problem is they want to extrapolate their success, believing that this is the way for everybody to make money. Let's make money overnight by having a leverage position on Bitcoin time 1,000. And look, I made 1 million in one week. And the vast majority of people who, who don't know how to invest and how to manage your money, they think this is the way. They think this, this is how rich people do and manage their money and this is how they're getting rich. I don't know if it's affecting your target customer who are mostly 50 plus, but I see that so often in the people in their 20s and 30s. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see that as well. And I think you're right. There's a quote that says a rising tide lifts all boats, right? I mean, you don't have to be special to make money in the market like this. People can get lucky. People can ride that luck. And like you said, then they they get you know confident and they start overlevering themselves. And at a certain point, the music stops, the market corrects, and you know, you may be left holding a bag worth nothing. I do see that with a lot of my clients' kids and grandkids. I see that with friends who have, you know, younger cousins and nieces and things like that. It's definitely an issue when you're in an environment where everything has just basically gone up, everyone's making money, it's very easy to think that you're special. I think that they're going to learn a lesson and it's it's going to be interesting to see. It's funny how you see their perspective. They've always thought that Wall Street is kind of a casino. And I, to a certain extent, you could almost make that argument, right? Especially if you're day trading. Mm. I'm a financial advisor, CFP, financial professional. I don't day trade. I think it's insane. I think it's so hard to do, right? To, to, to try to It's a full-time move, job. Right, to get moving in and out of the markets. And I'm just one guy, right? I mean, you're trying to compete against the guys on Wall Street who have eight screens and a team of analysts. You're not figuring something out that they but have not already figured out. Right. And so I think the younger generation, they've ha- they have access to this. They're only looking at it in the short term. What I want and I try to tell people, my clients, their kids, their grandkids, is you don't need to not, you know, a baseball analogy, right? You don't need to hit a home run every time. You don't need to knock it out of the park and have this amazing return. People build wealth with an average return. You know, the S&P 500 in the United States since the 1950s has returned, you know, 8 9% consistently. That's all you need if you have a plan and figure it out. You don't need 20, 30, 40% returns because that's unnecessary. And most importantly, that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable, exactly. You know, at a certain point, you're taking on all that risk to get that return. It could flip in a heartbeat. And, you know, I don't want to have to be worrying about that every single day. And it's my job to know kind of what's going on. But the average person does not want to have that kind of stress, right? You want to be able to just over the long term, you know, the market's going to be going up and down volatile in the short term. But over the long term, it usually trends up. Don't stress out over it. Have a longer term view. 
understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and have a plan for it and don't be swayed by what's going on in the market. When I was in my early 20s and didn't work yet in the financial industry, I had so many misconceptions and myths about finance and how to make money. And I thought that the goal was to do trading and doing stock picking. And I was pursuing like the, the ideal of making like crazy return on each trade. And I realized, but only after a while, this is now this is not how banks and rich people make money. It's actually very boring the way they make money. They just have annualized return of 9 or 10%. And the only thing is they let the magic of the compounded profit do the job. Mm -hmm. But the problem, it's too boring for people. <laughs> I don't know, a journalist, I don't, don't know which journalist, but one journalist asked Warren Buffett, who said that the way to make money is just you invest every year and you wait for the compounded return. And the journalist asked him, but if it's so easy to get rich, why people don't do it? And Warren Buffett answered, because nobody wants to get rich slowly. That's, that is exactly it. And you look at someone like Warren Buffett, I don't have the exact number, but the man is worth, you know, tens of billions of dollars. He ma didn't make his first billion until I think in his 60s, right? It takes a long time to get to that point, And that's what the wealthy understand. It's a game of time and consistently contributing, right? If you're consistently adding to, to your investments, if you're consistently putting your money to work and you're giving yourself time, you will have those, uh, have those good returns. You will be able to build wealth and the, ultimately the freedom that comes with it. But people are impatient, right? Human beings are impatient. We want everything now. And so everyone's trying to find a shortcut. That's when you overexpose yourself. That's when you take on risks that you can't afford to. And so, yeah, it may, it may work out in the short term. It may work out a couple of times, but eventually, you know, you're going to get burned on that. And I think that's what people need to realize, especially this younger generation. It's, you know, you don't need to make a million dollars by the time you're 25 or 30. Make it over time. Build up the habits of spending less than you make, putting that money to work. That is going to be more important than what investment you're, you're picking. The habits and the mindset of doing that is way more important. Yes, but it's so hard to be convinced on that when you go to Wall Street bet. And I go there every week. And what I see, people posting their screenshots of their leverage positions, their call, their straddle, their complex investment strategies. There are seven, maybe eight million people on Wall Street bet now. There are maybe five or ten people posting that on a weekly basis. But it gives you the impression that everybody's doing that. And everybody just got millionaire and <laughs> multimillionaire with one trade. So what to do? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think this gets into a larger point about social media and things, right? I mean, Instagram is a great example. We see a snapshot of someone's life and they could look very happy and it could look like the perfect thing, but we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And the same thing, whoever's posting their levered position, you know, we don't know if it's really their position. We don't know how much other money they have. It could be, you know, it could look like a lot of money, but it could be 1% of their portfolio. And they really don't care if they've lost that, right? Because it doesn't mean anything to them. It's 1% or a very small portion. I think it's very important for people to realize that you are not other people. They are not you. You need to figure out what works for you, what you want to accomplish. 
and focus on that and just really kind of stay with that. Otherwise, there's always noise. There's always going to be things that you're going to want to invest in. And you're going to you're going to just run out of money if you keep doing that. You keep chasing every opportunity. And you would believe that the way to make money is just to take some risky bet, which is absolutely not the way rich people do money. Because again, it's doing consistently long-term investment. And the compounded profit is so powerful. Albert Einstein, he's way smarter than me. And he said it's the eighth wonder of the world. So I think he was right on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the point, right? The wealthy understand, one, that they have to put their money to work. And if they let it go to work over time, their money, just like a snowball, right, rolling down the hill, it just picks up more snow, it gets bigger and gets bigger and picks up more speed. When you get to a certain point, your money starts making more money on itself, faster than what you can put in. And that's what we want to get to. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort and consistency to get to that point. And unfortunately, people don't want to do that. But once you do, once you've built up that habit and gotten there, you're in a really great position. Mm -hmm. And this is not the kind of screenshot that we see on TikTok, Instagram and Wall Street Bet. Wall Street Bet. Right. That's not what sells. I mean, even just look at the media, right? What sells in the media? It's excitement. It's craziness. It's fear. It's sensationalism. And so someone posting, you know, their position, which is a thousand times levered, is going to get a lot more likes and engagement and everything than someone saying, you know, I put $150 a paycheck into my, you know, investment account and I'm getting an 8% return and I'm really happy with that. Like, that is the best thing that I've ever heard, but it doesn't sell. <laughs> It really reminds me what happened in the last financial crisis. So before the crisis, before the subprime crisis and all the mortgage just going bust, all banks and traders, they thought that they were the kings of the world because they had found this system to create so much profit with AAA, low risk, no default rate, giving 10, 20, 30% discount. They have invented all these financial engineering system to take all your assets and investments out of the balance sheet and sell that to some other pension fund so that they can pocket the profit right away. They would package that in product that nobody would understand. And they all thought that they were the kings of the world until the day the shit hit the fan. Correct. And then it was brutal. Desks were closed. People got fired. Banks made billions of losses, Lehman's brother collapsed. I think 15% of the small banks in Europe just died. Like literally, they were not able to survive. And it took them five to six years just to recover from all their losses and to clean up their balance sheet and all these years of bad investment and bad decisions. But the problem is, Nobody sees that when they are in the rush of the adrenaline. Because when the market is going up and the market is so bullish and crazy, then you just want to continue and go up. And I remember there were people in the risk committee saying, hey, I think we should be more careful about this position. Maybe we should like be mindful of our liquidity because like, you know, all these kind of assets giving 30% return, they look a bit dodgy. The senior management said, what? It's making 30% return and you want to stop that? <laughs> yeah. Are you out of your mind? Notion rejected. It's human nature, I think, to justify things, to be able to kind of 
explain to ourselves, like this time is different. That's one of the uh, the things I keep hearing, right? This time is different. It's not like the other times. And yeah, people get burned by doing that. You know, money, money to a lot of people is a drug. They need more, they need more. And even if the signs are pointing to, hey, there could be kind of a collapse here, there could be a huge downturn. You know, people just want to kind of squeeze out as much as possible and they put themselves at risk. It's you see that in the Wall Street side of it. You see that on the Main Street side of it, where people justify, you know, the investments that they pick, the extra risk that they're taking on that they really can't afford to take on. It's all over. What I find fascinating about the financial world is it really magnifies all the personality and all the greed and all the, <laughs> the drive of the human psychology. It's like having people on steroid. <laughs> yeah, I think when you're kind of there, it shows who you are in a lot of ways, right? Uh, I'm not a risk taker. I am not the kind of person to go and put, uh, you know, trade day trade and then put over lever and do things like that. But it does attract, you know, those kind of businesses and things. It does attract certain people that are risk takers that want to do that. And so, yeah, they're willing to kind of go all in. And the biggest inequality that I see is between those who have the financial knowledge and the people who don't, and worse, the people who don't but have the illusion to have the financial knowledge. Have you also observed that? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely the people that don't have the financial knowledge, one, there are a lot of people that just they don't get it. They don't understand how the system works, right? The financial system that we're all part of. You know, when you get a paycheck, uh, how it goes into your bank and then what you're using it for, how taxes work, things like that, right? Debt that you take on. People don't understand how the system works, how it affects them, how their decisions now affect them later on. One of the examples I was thinking about was, you know, the game of Monopoly. I'm sure you played Monopoly before, right? Yeah. Yeah. Last financial education game. There you go. And when you weren't getting angry and throwing the table, right, when you lost... You realized that to win the game, you can't just pass go and collect a paycheck. And that's what most people are doing in the world. They're just collecting a paycheck and spending it on stuff that they don't need. They're the consumers. People who, yeah, exactly. The people who win Monopoly, the people who are become wealthy in real life, understand that you have to put that money to work. You buy property. When people land on that property, they have to pay you. That's exactly how it is in the real world. If you're only collecting a paycheck and passing go, you're never going to get off that hamster wheel. And I think people don't fundamentally understand that. No, and I don't even think it's their fault because the first day at university, what happens? You have banks giving you credit cards and they make you believe that your purpose in life is to be a good consumer and to build credit. So take the card and buy, 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 and you're doing the right thing, which is the complete opposite. People should build assets because assets gives you money which will make even more money, which will grow, and the money that it, it makes makes even more money, etc. Yeah, we are absolutely in a consumer environment. And to, to your point about college, I mean, even before getting to college, right? In the United States, you have 18-year-old kids who are taking on $50,000 a year in student loan debt, not understanding what the repercussions will be decades from now, right? You're still trying to pay off I have friends that are that are paying off, you know, thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars a month towards their student loans. That's a mortgage. That's part of your mortgage payment. That's a you know rent payment right there. You're really like tying yourself up or, or anchoring yourself and kind of hitting the brakes on your life because 
you've made this huge decision without fully understanding the math behind it, without understanding how this will affect you years from now. If I was professor at university, on day one, I would go on the board and draw like the pyramid of the social class. At the very bottom, you're a consumer. Consumer means everything that you earn, you're going to spend it, you will have nothing left for yourself. You're at best like having zero net for you at the end of the month, but most of the time, in the worst case, you're going to be in debt. You're overspending and every month you're getting lower and lower and lower. You're just going down forever and it's a debt spiral. You're going to be depressed. It's going to be horrible. Unfortunately, the majority people of people, especially in the US, are in this consumer. Then you have the saver class, which means congratulations. You managed to live below your means. You can do something with money. You may not yet know what to do with it, how to invest, how much to invest, etc. But your life is financially sustainable. And then there's the upper class. You're the investor. You build assets. Assets will give you money and you're building your financial freedom. And over time, you're getting richer and richer just doing nothing because you have assets. And you have understood that your goal financially is to build assets. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good way to put it. You have people that don't save that are paycheck to paycheck. You have the next level, which are just the savers. Um, and we, we run into that as well. You know, people who are, for whatever reason, older clients that my dad has, maybe their parents had lived through in the US, right? The Great Depression, where people were, were on bread lines and the, the stock market crashed. And so there's a fear of banks and a fear of investing. And so they just save money but they're not putting it to work, not understanding that they're losing out to inflation and other things. But then you have that top tier that understands that, you know, if I want to eventually be able to control my time, if I want to be able to have the options to just live life on my own terms, which is what wealth is and what wealth allows you to do, I need to not only save money, right, spend less than I make, but I need to take that money and I need to make it work for me. While I'm sleeping, it's working for me. While I'm working, it's working for me. It's just like an employee of my own company and view it like that. You're your own company, you're the head of your corporation, Sid Corp for me, and I'm taking my money and I'm putting it out there to make more money for me. There, It's my employees. And just have that mindset of doing that. Eventually, you'll be able to own your own time. You'll be able to have the options to just do what you want to. Is it something that your customers realize do they know it right away when they come to you or do you need to explain that to them? A lot of them do. I think at a certain point when you have people that are willing to sit down with a financial advisor to talk about where they are financially, and some people are not in a good place financially, but to be honest about the conversation, to be honest about what they want to accomplish, I think they're willing to do that. They want to, they understand at that point that, you know, I need to have a plan. I need to put my money to work. I can't just pass go and collect a paycheck because that's not how I want to live my life and not how I want to be able to take care of myself later on. There are some clients that we get that we work with that it's hard to get them to understand that. A lot of this stuff is just ingrained behavior that they've been doing for so long. And so to tell someone, hey, I think you need to, you know, you need to save more to get to these goals that you want to do. I don't want to sit there and tell you you have to cut out this or cut out that. Those are decisions you have to make on your own. And we can only help guide you. We can't make those decisions for you. So, you know, at a certain point, you hope that they realize that. Uh, and then you hope it's sooner rather than later. 
How do you deal with these clients who struggle to reconcile their goals with their execution and what they're doing? Do you sit down and teach them how to budget? I don't sit down. Yeah, I don't do a lot of like sitting down and budgeting. What I would do, and this is kind of uh, how I think it should be done, is, you know, there's a lot of money coaches out there. There are people that work specifically on the mindset of, you know, I don't need to buy everything in the world. I don't need to drive a Mercedes or a BMW. I can I can be happy with more simpler things. How do I kind of get out of that mindset and do that? Once they've worked with those kind of people, it's much easier for us to work with. I try not to sit down and budget with people because I don't know what's really important to them. If, you know, for you, your Starbucks every morning is important to you. I don't want to take that away or make you deprive yourself. I want you to figure this out in a way that, you know, allows you to get your, get to your goals. But I'm also honest. I say, look, if this is your goal and this is where you are, you have to do this to get to there, right? If you're saving less and you're spending more, you're not doing what the plan says, you can't expect to get the results. I'm not a miracle worker, unfortunately. I'm not a magician. So there are things that you have to do and we've laid it out in this plan, this financial plan. If you don't do those things, then you can't expect to get the results that you want. So it sounds like people need first as a prerequisite to have the right mindset before they can even do anything with you on their investment. Well, I think just having that mindset is important in and of itself, right? And then sitting down and saying, you know, it's not just about the investment. It's not just about what I'm picking, but it's about how all of these things work together. And that's what financial planning does, right? It's your investments. It's retirement planning, how you're planning for your kid's education, insurance planning, estate planning, taxes. How do all of these things fit together for your financial picture? And it does take a lot for some people to get to that point. A lot of people are just, you know, here's some money, invest it, and, you know, we'll go from there. Those are not really the clients I'd want to work with. Those are the people that have to kind of figure out the mindset first. Uh, and maybe they don't. Maybe we're not meant to work together. I think a lot of people really struggle to change their mindset. And it's very hard, especially when it's, ingrained in society and when people have internalized that the only way for them to be happy is to consume and to buy the stuff that they are presented. And when you're really convinced in your mind that you absolutely need that, otherwise there's no way you can be happy, your life can't be fulfilled. It's such a trap. And it's such a toxic trap. The problem is all the messages that we receive on society, on our society, the people who pay for these messages are companies. And companies, their job is to sell stuff, obviously. There's nothing bad, there's nothing evil, it's just the role. The problem is these are the only ones who are paying to give us messages and they are the only one who gets our attention and our eyeball. And when we grow up from the age of like when we start to read or even before when we start to read like kids were I remember when I was a kid I didn't understand anything but I, I saw toys on the TV I was convinced that I absolutely needed that toy even if I had like 10 20 in my room same here yeah <laughs> as a kid I always wanted to have more toy and the next one and the next one I would make a crisis and shout no I need it absolutely and the problem is when you have internalized this message from the earliest days, it's so hard to get away from there. Yeah, it is It is a problem, like you said, from being a kid until you're an adult. And, you know, 
I've been there. You ask my parents, they'll start laughing because I used to watch commercials and say like, I want that. I want that. Yeah. I want that. You know, it's just a commercial after commercial and you go to the store and you're like, I want that. And um, I think one, you know, if you have parents like mine who were just like, they were straight up like, we're, you're not getting that. We can't afford that. You're not getting it. Don't even ask us. Um, it kind of nipped that in the butt a little bit. But I think to your point, yeah, we are in a society where it's just consumer driven and you are inundated with that stuff. One thing that's helped me is, especially on Instagram, kind of getting rid of that stuff off my feed. You know, I used to follow like luxury pages and like, oh, with nice cars and things like that. And at the end of the day, I don't anymore. It doesn't help me. It doesn't make me feel any better. Those things sometimes used to make me feel worse because I'm like, oh man, it's like, how hard do I have to work to get to that? But I knew I would never be happy even if I got that. And so I've kind of replaced my feed on Instagram with stuff that's more motivating, more people talking about this kind of stuff, right? The psychology of money and consumerism and just having an understanding of that. We have so much kind of coming into us. You have to be able to filter it out and build systems, you know, a way for you to kind of filter that stuff out and make sure that you're focusing on what, what matters. How you do that is going to be very difficult. Um, and it's going to be difficult to kind of have that conversation with, with yourself, to be honest and be like, hey, I get influenced by what I see on Instagram and, and the internet. It takes some humility to do that. But if you can, that's kind of the first step to being like, okay, let me get rid of this and focus on things that are going to help me improve and help me improve my mindset and maybe follow pages that talk about money in different ways that I didn't think about. One thing I've noticed about people who manage to develop, rich, um, to develop wealth or become self-made millionaire, they don't chase money. They're not after the next thing to buy and, oh, I, I desperately need to have like 10K this month. I'm going to take like a new credit. I'm going to extend my loan, etc. They usually get rich because they found a balance in their life between what they like to do, what they want to become. They became good at something because obviously you need to have a high income to be able to invest and live below your means. But it's never the prime motivation. I agree with that. And that's definitely for me as well. I've never really been motivated by money. I'd, I'd obviously like to have more of it because I, it's a tool that will help me live how I want to. But I'm more motivated by uh, one in my business, helping my clients and building a business that can do that, that can help as many people as possible. And two, you know, working towards giving myself independence. That eventually at a certain point, I don't have to work. I'll only work if I want to. I'll only show up if I want to. If I don't want to and I want to go travel and just get on an airplane and go somewhere, I want that ability. And so that for me is what drives me, the independence and the ability to do that. If it comes with money, it comes with money, but money has never been the motivation for that. It's about the freedom to choose what I want to do. Are you part of the FIRE movement? I'm not, no. That's very hard. I think fire movement's kind of one extreme of it, right? I think uh, the other extreme is people that don't save any money and they spend everything. Mm -hmm. uh, fire is the one extreme where it's you live very frugally and you have an high, high income and do that. I'm not interested in that. I've kind of, I'm in the middle. I'm more towards saving and investing, but fire is a little too far on one, one extreme for me. You know, like Mr. Money Mustache. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's good to have this fire movement because it, it counterbalances all the excessive, excessive like 
pressure there is on consumerism. I, think I agree. Shows there's another way. Yeah, like there's yeah, an again, alternative. Yeah, like I was saying, it's the other side of that spectrum, right? The first side is just everybody spending, and I think we've seen so much of that. You know, people driving cars they can't afford, living in houses they can't afford, spending money that they don't have to kind of put on a show. Whereas the fire movement is a completely opposite end, showing people that if they really live kind of a frugal life, if that's what they want and they have the income to do it. They can retire in their 40s. They can just have the life that they want to live. Um, but I also think it shows people that you don't have to be on either end of the spectrum. There's a lot of middle ground in there and a lot of just ground in between that you can you can find what your balance is, right? My balance for me is going to be different, different than your balance, Sam, right? And it's going to be different than somebody else's. And so find your balance, understand that whatever that is, you know, I'm going to be giving up some things and I'm going to be getting some things, right? There's always an opportunity cost and a trade-off. But if you're okay with that and you found your balance, that's all that matters. Hmm. What is it that your customers learn and that gives them a aha moment? Like, oh, this is how the financial system works. Well, I think, I think the ones that are fully invested in financial planning have gotten that. It may not be with me, but they've had that aha moment where they understand fundamentally that they have to put their money to work. They have to spend less than they make. They have to take that excess, you know, build up a cushion, right? An emergency fund that, that takes care of them in case something happens. And then that rest of that has to go towards, you know, thinking down the road and thinking about accomplishing goals down the road. It has to go to work for them. Um, and, you know, some of them have that aha moment when I explain that. I, I love the monopoly analogy right? Pass and go and only collecting paycheck because I think that's so relevant to how people live their lives. But a lot of my clients come in already understanding that. And for me, that's great, right? It makes my job a lot easier. Now we just focus on being efficient. How are we just maximizing, execution. right? How are we maximizing your ability and your understanding? And then that's the fun part. I think we should all play Monopoly as an adult because we that's should. the best Absolutely. analogy of the capitalism game. What's happening in capitalism? People who have assets, there are like the players who have the houses and like the fancy houses. I don't know what's the American Monopoly. I play the French Monopoly. So there was the Champs-Élysées and all the nice oh, streets nice. of Paris. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> if you have assets, then that's what you get. People will come to you and cash in comes automatically, whether you do something or you don't. And if you're just a consumer, you do your entire life, you get your paycheck, so you... Every time, like you do a full circle, it was 20,000 front in the time. And you're just going to spend it <laughs> and earn nothing. Earn nothing. And then again and again and again. If you're lucky, you will spend maybe a bit less than what you earn during the turn. So the turn is a week or a, a month, like a cycle. But most of the time, you will overspend and you will get poorer and in debt and you will lose. And who gets rich? Those who have assets. Yeah, I mean, to that point, right, it's... How many times can you go around the board and that's life, right? That's another year of working. Eventually, you're not able to go around the board and collect that paycheck. And if you've only had the paycheck, you've only spent it, you never put that money to work, what are you going to do when that stops, right? The people that have invested it, that have bought the properties, they can sit back and they can still get money and collect money because they're, they've put the work in to build up their assets. Maybe one of the hardest aspects for people to believe in is getting rich is simple. 
it's it's simple. It's not rocket science. It's actually very simple, but it's not easy to execute. And that's just because we're human beings, right? Life happens, things happen. We again justify a lot of what we do, but it it's not complicated. You spend less money than you make. You give yourself a cushion, a cash reserve in case something happens, and the rest of the money that you have, you put to work because the system favors that. The system rewards you for putting your money to work and eventually your money starts making more money for you. Absolutely. The financial system 100% rewards those who are doing long-term investment. Actually, most people they don't even need to think about day trading, complex strategies and need a risky stuff. This is Wall Street bear, this is TikTok. You, you don't even need to worry about that. The Dumbo strategy is probably one of the best. You just put your money every month on the direct debit to ETF. You choose any index you want. You'll be already better than 99% of people. And if you keep doing that from your 20s, from your first paycheck, your first job, even if it's whatever, $10, no matter how ridiculously small the amount may sound to you, what happens is when you will earn more, you will have a bigger paycheck you would invest more because you already have a habit. You already knew in your mind that you need to start investing long-term. And I think that's how 75% of Americans become millionaires. 75% are self-made millionaires. They were not born rich. They just did this very, very boring process of putting every month money into long-term stock investments, doing absolutely nothing. A kid, a monkey could do it. It's really, um, I tell my clients that are good savers, it's their biggest superpower. The fact that they already are putting money away. And for them, the easiest way is just the automation. Like you said, you know, most banks, you can just do that. Automate it into a brokerage account or into an investment. Automate it into your savings. You don't even think about it. And doing that habit over and over again is what, is what builds up your wealth, right? You're consistently adding to it. You're not thinking about it. And it's just a habit over time that compounds over itself. How did you learn about all the secrets of the financial system and how it works? Well, I was lucky, man. I had uh, my, my father has been a financial advisor for now about 25, 26 years. So I've always grown up around it. I've always been interested in it. And just kind of having an understanding, a fundamental understanding, asking him questions, you know, learning about how taxes on labor, right? The highest marginal tax rate in the country in this in this country is 37% on your income, on your labor. But the highest tax rate for investments over the long term is 20%, right? Systematically, that is how the system is set up. Understanding that fundamentally changed kind of how I looked at things, right? Again, monopoly, you're not just passing go. And so having the conversations, I was very lucky to have a dad who was in the industry but now I think with the advent of the internet and how everything is so available, just kind of, go, you know, searching for that stuff and really, really not worrying about trying to make a quick dollar. Understand it's a long-term process. Go read about Charlie Munger and, and Warren Buffett, you know, two long-term investors. They have great quotes. They have great books out there that talk about these things. That's how you build wealth. And I think the conflict nowadays is, there's on one hand the system rewarding financially people who think long term, who have these daily consistent, sorry, monthly consistent habits of investing long term, and everything else, social media that is only promoting the muscle of instant gratification 
and the muscle of the delayed gratification is just forgotten. Yeah, I. It's tough. Look, it's tough. I'm I'm 34 years old, so I've gone through kind of the social media stuff and whatever. I've come out and I've I've said like I'm at a point where I, it's, none of that stuff matters to me. But I can see if you're younger, you kind of get caught up in it. You have to realize it's not real. It doesn't mean anything in your life specifically. You have to figure out what you want to accomplish and what you want to do, and you have to be you know focused and intentional with your pursuit of that. You know what you're seeing on social media probably has nothing to do with you. People are selling their coins and, and their fake. products. It's all it's fake, so exactly. Fake. It's so fake, and so exactly, it's fake. It's a front. It's one second out of someone's day. Think about it like that, and just know that there's still 24 hours in the day that you don't know what's going on. Focus on you, and uh, you know, easier said than done. I'm 34. I know what it's like, but I think that's the best piece of advice I can give. Just focus on you. Correct, because if you don't focus on what you want to achieve and what you want to do with your money, then you're going to spend your life buying stuff that others want you to buy. And you're going to spend your life to work for others. And if you do that, then you become just a consumerism machine. You're not in control anymore of your finances. And most people don't realize that because, again, we have internalized this message that to be happy, we need to buy what others are presenting us on Instagram and on ads. And that's, I think, the hard part. Take a moment, think about what you want to achieve, what are your goals, what will make you happy. And it's probably not the Ferrari that is displayed on Instagram. So true. And you know what? Even if you had the money and you bought it, I guarantee you after the rush is off and everyone's kind of complimented you a few weeks later, you're going to go back to feeling how you were before. But you're going to have 100%. a Ferrari in your garage, right? I was in the investment banking industry. I had colleagues, they had Ferrari, they had Porsches. They were super excited. They were bragging about it. They took photos. I swear to you, they went back to normal after one maximum two months. Yeah, and that's exactly how it always is going to be. So if you're constantly trying to fill that void with stuff that you buy, it, you're work. never going to be happy. It doesn't work. I it promise work. you it doesn't work. Awesome. Sid, thank you so much for spreading and sharing your financial knowledge. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Where can people find more about you? Absolutely. So I'm very active on LinkedIn. If you just search for Sid Misra CFP, um, you'll see me. I'm based out of New Jersey. So um, you, can, you guys can follow me or connect with me on there. And I also have a YouTube channel as well, Empowered Finance. So M-P-O-W-E-R-E-D and then separate word finance. And then also my podcast is the Empowered Finance Podcast on Spotify, Buzzsprout, and Google Podcasts as well. Excellent. A lot of financial education available for all of us. Thank you so much, Sid. All the best to you. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this episode enjoyable, inspiring, and educational. In this era of instant gratification, it is more important than ever to train our delayed gratification muscle. So keep learning, keep improving by 1% every day. You may not see the results right now, but this is a secret of all the successful people I've met. Please help me spread financial education by sharing this podcast with your friends and community. I would love it if you could also leave us a review. It really helps the show. Now, 
I would like you to forget about all the advertising that is being pushed to us on a daily basis and think about your personal financial goals. What do you really want to achieve with your money? If you have financial objectives, then check out the Nova Money app. Nova is an AI that will show you how to set financial goals and how to achieve them. A plan is only useful if you can follow it. That's why Nova will send you daily motivational messages to give you the strength to ignore the daily temptations of spending money and stay focused on your goals. Like other budgeting apps, Nova connects all your bank accounts in one place to give you the full picture. The difference is that the Nova AI will do all the budgeting and tracking for you. The second difference is that unlike many free personal finance apps, we don't sell users data. All your data is encrypted and will remain completely private. Make sure that you're investing in your financial education. Make sure that you're building your financial freedom. And I'll speak to you in the next episode.